Good stuff. Good morning, Bridge. How we doing, guys? Is that choir and mime team awesome or what? I'm backstage fighting tears. I mean, it's good stuff. Powerful stuff. And the message of that song is so powerful. Let me just ask you a question, though, as we get into message time. Kind of ties to all of that together. Um, how many of you agree with me that human beings are acceptance junkies? Anybody? Just, I got two hands, three hands. Just, come on, let's be honest. The bridge is one of the, the most welcoming places on the planet. Right? But I see you when you come in here for the first time and you go, you got this deer in the headlights look. We can spot you across the room. I mean, no, we see you when you come in. And here's how it goes. You walk in and you're kind of going, oh, what have I got myself into? I don't know if I want to do this or not. And then it's almost like magic. You see somebody across the room that you know and who likes you, and you immediately go, I'm going to be all right, right? Because we're just, we need that acceptance. That's who we are. By the same token, we are conformist by nature. Is that true? I mean, here, what human beings do is they look for a group they want to be a part of, they join that group, and then they begin to change themselves to look like that group. Even the nonconformist movements, if you look at video clips of them, you will see that they dress alike, talk alike, and smell alike. I mean, that's just what they do. We just kind of connect with each other and, and, and find each other, which is why peer pressure is so powerful. And if you tell me for teenagers, I will stop you dead in your tracks because it don't never go away. Somebody say amen. amen. We're in a series, as Dewey Sprinkle told us, called Fake News, Lies We Believe. And every week throughout this series, we've just been kind of unpacking some of those common expressions that we see all of the time around us that we grew up with quite often, and, uh, and they're just kind of subliminally out there. We don't even pay attention to them anymore because they're so common. Uh, and, and the result is that we tend to accept them. If you want any of these messages, go to info at bridgechurch.cc. Just send me an email. We'll be glad to, to send these manuscripts to you. And you can follow along right now. I wish you would. Uh, go to the Bridge NC app and follow along. Save it to your journal. You can take your own notes and save it for future reference. But let's get into it because today we're talking about a very important one. We just simply call it everybody's doing it, so what's the big deal? By the way, Two weeks from today, the last Sunday in this series, uh, we're going to stop looking at, at examples of this, and I'm going to give you a lie detector. And we could spend the rest of our lives looking at, at lies that we believe. Uh, so we're just going to kind of cut to the chase, and I'm going to give you a lie detector. So two weeks from today, if you're planning vacation, go online or, or leave after church or whatever, but be here two weeks from today as we kind of unpack this thing and bring it together and a lie detector, because the goal of this series all along <clears throat> has been for us to evaluate our worldview and ask ourselves the honest question, is it based in Christ or is it based in culture? Again, for those of you that that's a new term for you, uh, a worldview, we got a definition here, a worldview is simply the overall perspective from which you see and interpret the world. It's a collection of beliefs about life, about the universe that's held by an individual or group, and every one of us has a worldview. The problem is that our worldview, this system of beliefs by which we evaluate everything, <coughs> comes from a combination of Sunday school and Hollywood and the street and our next door neighbor and our old teachers and our previous pastor and our current pastor and just we just get all collection of things, then quite often we never stop to check them and judge against them. So 
Uh, today's counterfeit truth, counterfeit being there's some truth in it, but it's not all true, is everybody's doing it. What's the big deal? I mean, what, uh, why does it matter who I hang out with? What, 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 what does it matter uh, who I'm with? Because at the end of the day, guys, aren't we all the same? I mean, we even sang about it with the choir this morning. We're, we're all the same, right? And, and hear me, there is truth in that. There's a sense in which we are all the same in that we were all created by God to be in relationship with God. We were created by Him to worship Him, to receive His love and grace. We were created in His image uh, for purpose, on purpose. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We just get to choose whether you do it voluntarily or in the end times when you finally recognize it and it's too late for you. So in that sense, we are all the same, but in another sense, the fact is people are very, very different. Can I get an amen in the house? So it becomes important that we are discerning about who we let influence us. We are discerning about who we let into the influence halls of our lives. That's why Solomon said 2,500 years ago, Proverbs 13, 20. Read it with me. It's on the screens. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You see two types of people in that verse, right? Do you see two? Do your heads like this if you see two? Uh, type one is wise people, and what happens if you hang out with them? People like me and Pastor Jared, they give a hard time too. If you hang out with guys like us, what do you get? Now you really struggle because you don't know, right? If you hang out with wise people, you get wise. You hang out with foolish people, you get in trouble. Now understand when the Bible calls somebody a fool, it's not referring to intelligence or, or, or it's not about being dumb. It's dumb what they do. But in, in Scripture, the idea of being uh, foolish is the idea of living as though there is no God. Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, which tells me that he says in his mind, I know the truth, but I've decided in my heart to believe there is no God. It's not that they don't know, it's that they have decided to act as if they don't care about what they know. And we all know people like that. Don't look at them, but we all know people like that. And Solomon said in Proverbs 13, or 1, 32, the complacency of fools will ultimately destroy them. And according to 14.1, if you hang out with them, it'll destroy you too. It'll destroy you too. So here's the truth you need to build your worldview as it relates to relationships. Put it in a succinct statement. You can tweet it or Facebook it or whatever, Instagram it or whatever you want to do with it. Uh, but, but, uh, but share this thing because it's, it's a powerful truth. Friendships will always influence. Did I say always? What does always mean? It means always. Friendships will always influence and often determine the direction and quality of your life. Let me say it again. I want you to say it with me. I want you to hear yourself saying it. One, two, three. Friendships will always influence and often determine the direction and quality of your life. That's how Andy Stanley put it in a message that he brought some time ago. Here's how Paul wrote it to the church at Corinth, chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Pastor Jim, paraphrase, you can't soar with eagles while you run with turkeys. It just can't be done. <laughs> so in the time that we've got today, I've got two goals in mind. <clears throat> First of all, I want to give you a tool. I want to give you a mechanism to evaluate whether or not the friends 
uh, in your life are wise to hang out with? Do they fit the quality of wise so that you become wise? I'm going to just give you a three-part kind of uh, assessment tool that will help you to make some decisions about those people. And then secondly, I want to answer a question that I hope is in your mind. It may not be there yet, but I'm going to plant it. And that is the question, what do we do uh, with people in our life that we love, we care about, but in fact, they aren't operating as wise people, and, and we don't want them to influence. What do we do with those people? And so again, today, let's, let's kind of figure out how we're going to choose our friends wisely, and then let's unpack how do you, I call it how to love lost people without getting lost yourself, all right? Is that worth a few minutes every time? Let's get into it. There are three parts, I think, to knowing whether people are wise and you ought to hang out with them. First of all, you need to evaluate their values. You need to evaluate their values. <clears throat> Excuse me. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in company of mockers, but those who delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. I don't know if you know the context of that passage of Scripture, but in those days, it was common for, for the, the, the men, the seasoned men, the leaders of a given community to sit by the gate and, uh, of the city. And people would stop and, and kind of like sitting on, you know, beside the pot-bellied stove playing checkers, the old guys sitting around the country store. They used to do, you'd come and you'd sit and listen to these guys and pick up wisdom from these guys. And, uh, and then you'd go on about your day. Well, what the psalmist is saying is, is if you really want to be blessed, don't hang out with those guys who are wicked. Don't, don't hang out with those guys who are mockers. Don't hang out with those guys. Instead, find some people whose delight is in the Word of God. Find some people who delight in the Lord, who, who really think about, meditate on, value, in other words, highly prioritize the Word of God every day. Simply put, if you want a blessed life, you need to delight in, meditate on the Word of God. And I'll tell you from experience, the best way to delight in the Word of God is to find some other people who delight in the Word of God. Just hang out with some of those people. Now, hear me. I'm not just talking about good and bad. You know, immediately some of our minds go, well, you know, I, I, you know, I kind of process through this stuff. I, so you're telling me that I'm going to be a bad person or a good person? No. Sometimes I'm talking about good or best. Sometimes I'm saying, whoa, whoa, slow down. Is what you're giving your one and only life to the best? Is it what God has put you on this planet to do? Let me give you an example from my own life. I told you a few months ago, this past winter, we were in series and we talked about regrets. And many of you shredded regrets. I hope you haven't picked them back up if you were here that day. If you have, then shame on you. Give them back to the Lord and don't cast them because you reel them back in. Throw them. Uh, but I told you that day that there was a time in my life when my biggest regret it wasn't falling into sin, but it was getting out of whack in the priorities of my relationships. I was spending so much time building a new church that I was actually neglecting my family, and I didn't even realize what was going on <clears throat> until one night I was sitting in a small group, and it was a, a guy, middle-aged guy, who had just come to Christ a few weeks before uh, who was in our small group, and uh, Robert was his name. And uh, Robert had, uh, you know, a little bit of a hero worship thing going on with me. I had led him to the Lord, prayed with him to receive Christ, and, and, and I recognized I'm going to have to help him get off of this pedestal he's put me on. Uh, but we're sitting across the coffee table, and he said, Pastor, Pastor, I need, I need you to help me understand something. And I said, okay, I'll help if I can. He said, um, 
I hear you talk about how much you love your family. I hear you talk about how much you love your wife and how much you love your boys. And, and, and yeah, I hear you talking about working 80 and, and 100 hours a week for the church. And, and I'm just so excited that it's possible to do both. And so I just need you to explain to me how you're doing that so that I can do it too. It was almost like Freddy Krueger reached across the coffee table and cut me open in front of everybody because what I said to him was, you can't. You can't. That's not possible. Now, understand, I wasn't intentionally lying to you. I was lying to myself because it's not possible to do both things. short time after that, I went to... Uh, to a, a pastor's conference, and I heard Morris Cirillo talking to pastors, and he said, if you can't take care of your bride, keep your hands off God's. And I went, whoa, whew. And then I read 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, husbands, be considerate of your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And I went, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Th- this this says that my effectiveness as a pastor, as a church leader, as a church planner is directly linked to how I treat my wife. Yeah. <clears throat> and wives, we could turn that around too. It's okay. Husbands, you could clap. That's about wives too. But hear me, guys. Here's what I'm trying to get to. I started examining my circle of friends. I started examining the primary influences in my life, and I realized that every conversation I got into with those guys, the question was, how big is your church? How many people came Sunday? How much are you growing? How many people got saved? There was never a conversation with, how's your marriage these days? There was never a conversation about, how's your family these days? And I recognized that the people that I had given primary influence, is this making sense? The people that I'd given primary influence into my life were not telling me to do something bad. There's nothing wrong with investing in a church and building a church and growing a church. I mean, thousands of people came to Christ through community church and still are. But, but I was neglecting one of the most important things. The Bible says a man won't provide for his own, especially his own family. He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever simply because of the people that I had allowed to influence me. So I recognized very quickly, having learned this teaching and having taught it to other people, I came to realize that if I really want to change, if I really, really want to change, then what I've got to do is I've got to find some people who share that value and we can hold each other accountable to that value. Is this making sense? Now, your values may be different. I mean, the issues you need to work on in your life, the values that you need to, to develop in your life are probably different than the ones in my life. But, but whatever that value is, whatever value it is you need to develop, you need to find some people who share that value. And they don't have to be perfect people. Hear me. They just have to value it. And, and so that they ask the same kinds of questions and they meditate on the same kinds of questions and then you meditate together, whatever they are, whether we're talking about good or bad or good or best, You've got to find some people who share it, who will support you in it, and then ultimately will hold you accountable to them if you really want to get there. Because I heard somewhere that friends will always influence and often determine the direction and quality of your life. So just kind of process through the friends in your life. The people that you're allowing to influence your life. What are their value systems? 
And if you don't know, what are you going to do to find out? Second filter that you need in order to, to make sure you're hanging and influenced by wise people is habits. Values <coughs> eventually show up in behaviors, and repeated behaviors become habits. Does that make sense? But here's what you need to know. We all know that. Well, here's what you need to know. Habits repeated enough in your presence <coughs> will eventually wear your resolve down, and you will pick up the behaviors. Do I need to say that again? Behaviors repeated often enough will become habits. Habits repeated in your presence often enough will eventually wear your resolve down and you will pick up those habits. Let that resonate in your spirit. That's why King David prayed in Psalm 141.4, Lord, do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. I read that verse. In fact, Pastor Ryan, our Goldsboro location, <coughs> reminded me of it this week when we were, we were talking. He said, uh, he said Pastor Jim, the, the, the first, when I saw that word delicacies, the first thing I thought of was a story you told me about Balut. Most of you know that I was, Kim and I were missionaries in the Philippines through the 80s. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Balut. Some of you are. Balut is a delicacy in the Philippines. It's sold at every bus station you can find. It's, it's sold by street vendors all over the place. Balut is where you take a duck egg that is fertilized. It would hatch in 21 days, but at day 17, you take it and boil it. And then you eat it. And it is a fully formed chick inside that egg, beaks, bones, feathers, and all. Well, I see the look on your face. You wish I'd move on, but I'm, but I'm using this as an important illustration uh, that you need to get, okay? When we first went to the Philippines, I went on a trip with a group of Filipino pastors. We stopped at a bus station, and they could not wait to get off the bus to buy their balut, and they started cracking these eggs open and salting them and going to it, and I'm going, that's the most horrific thing I've ever seen somebody put in their mouth in my life. I will never, ever, ever do that. Six years later, we're at a bus station, and they're getting off, and I found myself thinking, why do they love it so much? Maybe if I close my eyes, I can try it and find out. And I did. And I broke it open and I salted it and I closed my eyes and I bit it. And you ever eaten salmon in a can? Salmon in a can's got little tiny bones in it that just kind of crunch in between. That's, that's kind of what the sensation is. And, uh, but it tasted like a really rich duck egg. That's all. It just tasted like a really rich duck egg. And I found myself going, hey, this ain't bad. We were in country three more years. I could not wait till we got to bus stops. <laughs> I was the first one at the balut salesman saying, man, I, I just, I need, I need me some balut. Can I have two? I just, something happened. It took a while, but something happened because somebody had behaviors that became habits that I witnessed that ultimately broke my resolve down I'm giving you an extreme example because if I offered you balut right now, you'd run out of the room screaming. But there are lots of other examples 
that are perhaps not as disgusting. Habits, uh, behaviors become habits. Repeated in front of you often enough breaks your resolve down until you find yourself adopting the habit. So if you have a friend that, that's always buying expensive stuff even when he can't afford it, and you're committed to handling your money God's way, apply the principle. If you've got a married friend who's in the habit of trashing her husband all the time behind his back, and you're committed to honoring your marriage vows, apply the principle. If you've got a Christian friend who has the habit of skipping church, being sporadic about going to church, never serves, just kind of shows up when they feel like it, but you're committed to being fully engaged in the body of Christ and attending and worshiping and serving and learning and and giving, apply the principle. I mean, I could go on, but I think you get the point. Don't ever forget that we are acceptance junkies. We are conformist by nature. The habits embraced by those around you will eventually break your resolve down and you will find yourself doing something because they are incredibly contagious. If you want to find wise friends, pay attention to their values, pay attention to their habits, but most importantly, the third one's most important, is that is take time to see where they're headed. Take time to see where they're headed. Values lead to behaviors that lead to habits, which ultimately determine your direction in life and where you end up in life. So number three is direction. Solomon wrote about this one a lot. Proverbs 14, 8 from the message, the wisdom of the wise keeps life on track. The foolishness of fools lands them in the ditch. Again, the Bible doesn't define a fool as somebody who's unintelligent or, or mean-spirited or somebody who's out to get you necessarily. In fact, many times these people are just trying to be your friend. But if they don't share your values and their habits don't line up with the habits that you're trying to develop in your life, understand they may not be sitting around plotting against you, but the result is the same because their values become behaviors which become habits which are incredibly Contagious, is it making sense? And ultimately lands you in a destination. So if you're not guarded about their influence in your life, you will adopt their values, develop their behaviors, and, and eventually end up in the ditch with them. Let's just be honest, okay? i got to move on, but let's just be real honest. You can sit real still. Every one of us, as we look back over our lives, can think of times when we had friends that we liked and they liked us, but when we were honest about it, we knew the direction that friendship was taking us was not a good, healthy direction. We're left with a decision that we have to make. What are we going to do? Because friendships, did I mention this? Always influence and often determine the direction and quality of your life. Which leads us to the question that I posed at the beginning of message time, and, and that is, well, what, do, what do we do about people that we care about, uh, but they don't share our values? Uh, th- their habits are not healthy. They, the, the direction they're going in is not the direction that I believe God's called me to go in. What, what do I do about, about those people? How, how do you love lost people without getting lost yourself? Well, I think you've got three options. You can pick and choose from these three. Uh, I think number three is the most important one, but let's just explore the three options, and I'll let you go this morning, okay? Option number one is you can do nothing. You can just chalk this up to an interesting sermon that doesn't really apply to you, 
Uh, Pastor, that makes sense. I guess it's logical, but you don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand my friend. He really likes me. She really likes me. I feel accepted by them. I feel safe in that environment. So this really doesn't apply to me. You can take that approach if you want to. You can say, I can handle it. They're not really influencing my thinking. You can take that approach if you want to, but here's what you need to know. Proverbs 27, 12, when a wise person sees danger ahead, he, what? Avoids it, but a foolish person keeps going and gets in trouble. How did we define a foolish person? Somebody who knows there is a God, knows there is a way to go, but has decided in their heart that they're not going to care about that. That's not who you want to be. Trust me, that's not who you want to be. And so that's, if you want to avoid being that person, then, then you've got to do something. But again, you've got the option because uh, I, know, I know how incredibly difficult this can be. I know when, when friendships get established and we feel accepted and, and we've, you know, we're kind of connected with this group of people or this person. And even when the Lord whispers in your ear, you know that friendship isn't good for you. He may be whispering that to you right now. It's, it's a dangerous place. It's hard. So I just need you to understand, you are free. Uh, It's one of the beauties of our great nation. You are citizens of these United States. You are free to ignore everything I'm saying to you today. That's your call. I had a pastor friend call me one day, and he said, Pastor, uh, I quit. I'm done. I I got no business being a pastor. I'm never going to pastor again. I'm resigning from my church Sunday. And I said, what in the world happened to bring you to this? And he said, I had a couple that came to me for advice. It was so obvious what they should do. I laid it out for them clearly. They said they understood. And then they went and did the exact opposite of what I told them to do. Well, if I couldn't even get them to do the right thing as clear as that one was, then I got no business being a pastor. And I said, sir, it is none of your business what they did after your meeting. What? Well, of course it's my business. I'm their shepherd. I care about them. No, no, no. Your job is not to get people to do something. Your job is to tell people the truth as lovingly as you know how and then love them whether they get it right or not. That's your job, right? Thank you. So what you do is you call those folks and say, you know, I, I know that my advice didn't resonate with you. I, I just need you to know I love you. And when you crash and burn, please give me the chance to help you put the pieces back together because I'm here and I care. I want to help you. So hear me. Guys, you can ignore what I'm saying today, but this isn't Jim's opinion. I'm just the messenger. This is God saying, be warned. Be warned. This is truth. The second option that some of you need to take with maybe some of your friends is you need to walk away completely. You need to walk away. And that may sound extreme, but there are times when that's exactly what you need to do. Proverbs 14, 7, stay away from a foolish person. You won't learn anything of value from him. You need to just walk away. When, when Joseph found himself in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife threw herself at him, anybody know what he did? He dropped his coat and ran. He said, I'm out of here. I am not even hanging around to pick up my belongings. I am gone. That's, so, you know, if you're uh, at a gas station and you see somebody lighting a cigarette while he's pumping gas, are you going to go over and introduce yourself and say, hey, man, I'd love for to be friends? Or are you going to run away? Sometimes you need to run 
away. You need to stop taking their calls. You need to to unfriend them on Facebook. You need to set safe boundaries. You need to run away because of the direction that you're headed in that relationship. I know it sounds harsh. I know it does, but I'm telling you the truth, guys. One of our sons in his late teen years uh, drifted into the, got into that circle of friends and drifted into the drug world for a while. He ultimately went to, to Youth Challenge, Teen Challenge, went to Pennsylvania to the mountain uh, there, was there for eight months, and during that eight months, rededicated his life to the Lord. He came back to us clean and sober and in love with Jesus and ready to dedicate his life to the Lord. He'd only been home for a few weeks when a knock came at our door, and I answered the door, and it was Andrew's old friends, the guys he drugged with. And uh, they said, hey, Mr. Wall, we, we heard uh, your son's home, and uh, w- would you tell him we're here? And I said, no. And they looked at me like, what do you mean? I said, I'm not telling them that you're here. You're not welcome here. Now, when you want to get your life together, come see me. I'll do everything in the world I can to help you get your life together. But no, I'm not going to tell my son you're here. So they left. Uh, My son came to me later that day, and he said, said, Dad, who was at the door this morning? And I told him, and I told him what I'd done. And I don't know if he'd be mad at me. I didn't know if he'd yell at me. I don't know if he'd go running after him or what. But here's what he said. Um, He said, thank you, Dad, because I'm not strong enough yet to go back into that world without falling back into that world. And I ain't going back. Sometimes, as hard as it may be, that's exactly what you need to do. I, I hear you, Pastor, but, but they're my friends. I mean, what's going to happen to them if I, if I walk away? The better question is, what's going to happen to you if you don't? I had a young lady come into my office one day, uh, kind of out of the blue, and I received her, and uh, her, her parents were members of our church. She was about 19. She came in and told me in a very few minutes that she'd been out with this group of friends that she was a part of uh, the night before, and they'd all gotten drunk, and they'd all gotten high, and all of the guy, guys had gang-raped her the night before. She was refusing to go to the police, but her father finally convinced her to come see me, and I did everything I could do to try to talk her down and try to get her to deal with it and address it. Finally turned the conversation over to, okay, talk to me about your relationship with God, and came to that point where she recognized she needed the Lord, and we were about, we were, I said, okay, well, just pray this prayer. You can pray it in your own words, but pray it like this, and I was about to lead her in a prayer to give her life to Jesus Christ, and she, she said, wait, if I pray this prayer, what's going to happen to my friends? We're talking about the guys that raped her last night, and the girlfriends that stood by while it happened. What's going to happen to my friends? And I said, well, Suge, um, some of them will be so thrilled at what they see going on in your life, they're going to want it too. Some of them will walk away. And she said, can't do it, and got up and walked out of my office. I didn't see her again for a long time. The next time I heard from her, her dad called me and said, would you pray for my daughter? She moved to Florida where her mother is, my ex-wife. And she went into heroin rehab this week because the only way she could deal with it was to escape and self-medicate. Sometimes you just got to walk 
away. But, but, but pastor, if I walk away, they'll call me a snob. They'll, they'll, they'll call me a holy roller. They'll, they'll say, well, she thinks she's too good for us now that she's found Jesus. And when they do, just tell them, no, no, no. It's not that I'm too good for you. It's that I'm too weak for you. Because I ain't going down back that road. And, and I ain't strong enough not to go back that road. Because I've learned that values become behaviors and behaviors become habits. And habits are contagious. And I ain't going down that road. So here's, here's the third option. Because here's the dilemma for we who follow Christ. Here's the dilemma, okay? Jesus called us to be salt and light, right? What does salt do? Anybody know? In real terms, what is it? What, practical terms, what does salt do? It flavors the meat. It preserves the meat. It's, so, but it only happens when the salt is actually applied to the meat. So it's got to be in contact with the meat to flavor and preserve it, right? What does light do? Light illuminates makes it possible for you to see what you need to see. But again, light is only effective if it's, if it's turned on in the dark place. So if we're called to be salt and light, but here you are telling me not to hang out with foolish, biblically defined foolish people, then how, how do you reconcile those two things? What do you do with that? Here's what we're supposed to do. It's option three in this journey. So let me understand. I need you to understand something. One of the problems when we talk about reaching people for Christ, <clears throat> research says that the average Christian within two years of giving their lives to Christ no longer has an unsaved friend in their circle of influence. Because we come to Christ, we start building friendships in the church, we get in a small group, we get on a serve team. We start getting involved with Christian people. We need a plumber. We want one we can trust, so we get a Christian plumber. We need an electrician, so we call an electric, a Christian electrician. And before you know, we get a car fixed, we, we call Gary. You know, it's just we want a Christian. <laughs> it's just we got we to figure this thing out somehow. And before you know it, research says within two years, there are no unsaved people in your circle of influence. So how do you be salt and light then? Well, you have to be intentional about it. And what I recommend you do is you prioritize your relationships. Prioritize your relationships. It may not sound right to you to prioritize, but we do it all the time, and we do it appropriately all the time. If, if you have a child whose father is always at work, and when he's not at work, he's hanging with his homies out in the man cave, what are his children eventually going to do? Eventually going to feel left out. And eventually feel like he doesn't care. Why? Because it's appropriate for them to, to expect him to prioritize his relationships, and they're somewhere way up here in the priority list. That make sense? You, you, you got to, uh, when I got my priorities out of whack of the family a few years ago, and I told you that I had to recognize that I didn't have friends influencing me, one of the people that jerked my head around was my wife. Thank God for a godly woman that said, Jim, I think you need to stop and think about what you're giving your one and only life to and where me and the boys fit in that equation. Thank God for a godly woman who's willing to tell her husband hard truths and to hear them when I need to tell her. You see, jealousy, you know, oh, they're just being jealous. That's all. They're just jealous. You've got friends they don't have, so they're just being jealous. Well, maybe, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. Jealousy is not necessarily a sinful attitude. We always think of it in negative terms, but jealousy is not necessarily always a sinful attitude. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, you must not worship or serve any idols. <clears throat> this is because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous. 
God, hear me, God is incapable of sin. God is holy. So if God can be jealous and never sin, then all jealousy isn't necessarily sin. Does that make sense? So let me, let me illustrate it this way. If Kim and I are at a restaurant and some guy comes over and starts flirting with Kim, uh, more importantly, she starts responding and flirting back, how many think I'm going to be jealous? Yes, God bless that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> do I have the right to be jealous? God bless that hand. I see that hand. Yes, I do. Why? Because she promised to put me first for the rest of her life. And I have a right to expect her to keep her promise. She has a right to expect me to keep my promise. God has a right to be jealous when we don't put him first because he's all in for you. All in. You think back over your life and the blessings of your life and and the things that God has blessed you with and provided you with over these years and top that all off with the fact that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary to pay for your sins. Not his. He didn't have any. Yours. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. He has a right to expect you put him first. He has a right to be jealous if you don't. So how do we balance our need to put God first with his call, his call on our lives to be salt and light to a world that desperately needs Jesus. I've already told you, we prioritize our relationships. And here's how I've done it through the years. In fact, we've got a little chart. Can we bring the chart up? Uh, here's how I've done it through the years. I draw two circles. And I will stop every now and then. I've been doing this for years. I will stop every now and then, and I will ask myself the question, uh, of all the people that I am letting into my life, people that I'm in relationship with, uh, which circle are they in? Are they in the circle of influence, or are they in my circle of concern? Which circle are they in? And, and again, here's the problem, is if you aren't careful, everybody in your life will be in your circle of influence because everybody you know loves Jesus. You won't have anybody in your circle of concern because you've stopped being around anybody uh, in, in th- that doesn't know Jesus. Well, you can't be salt and light that way. So you need to make sure that you're populating both circles where those people who are in your circle of influence are what? Did I tell you, did I t- did I, did, did I tell you the, the, the process for evaluating? Evaluate their values, look at their habits, judge the direction of their lives. If, if those things honor God and are based in Scripture, then put those people in your sphere of influence and start listening to what they say, paying attention to what they say. Even if they say something it's hard to hear, listen to it and process through it and say, Lord, are you trying to say something to me about me? Circle of influence. And in those people whose values don't line up with Scripture, whose habits don't line up with the Word of God, those, whose direction is not the direction that God has you going in, you don't cut them out of your life. You put them in your circle of concern. And you begin to pray. And you pray for opportunities to share your faith. You begin to pray that God puts a a guard around your mind and a guard around your heart so that when you see the things that are going on in your lives, their lives, they don't necessarily influence what's going on in yours because you've decided to follow Jesus Christ. Is this making sense? It's a mechanism, guys. It's a real practical tool that I've used for years, and the result is that I've been able not only to make sure that I'm not being unduly influenced by the culture 
but I've made sure that I'm close enough to people who don't know Jesus that I have the opportunity to help them join my circle of influence by coming to know Jesus Christ. Can I tell you on a personal note, and we'll wrap this up, I've had an amazing privilege as a pastor, as a missionary, as a church planner, an evangelist, to pray with, I don't know, tens of thousands of people, no exaggeration, to receive Christ. I was at a church in India one time. We had 15,000 people in the altars that day before the day was over. So I mean thousands of people that I've had the privilege to pray with. I've had 23 circle of concern friends over these 47 years that have joined my circle of influence. And I know every one of them by name. And I know where they are and what's going on in their lives. You understand the difference? So your goal as a follower of Christ is make sure that the people who share your values, who have habits that honor God, are headed in the direction that God's got you going in, they influence you. And the people that don't, you're concerned for them, you pray for them, you care about them, and ultimately you try to help them find the Jesus that you've fallen in love with so that they can join your circle of influence. Is that possible? Here's what I know. The last prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to Calvary, which makes it a pretty important prayer when you say, part of that was, verse 15 through 18, he said, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking that you keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to the world, the same as I don't belong to the world. Make them ready for your service through your truth. Your teaching is truth. I've sent them into the world the same as you sent me into the world. Sphere of influence, sphere of concern. Circle of influence, circle of concern. Draw some lines, draw some circles. Get intentional about it and watch God not only strengthen your faith, but watch God use you to bring some people to know Jesus. Let's pray that prayer together. Father, thank you that it does matter who we hang out with. But it doesn't mean that we have to isolate ourselves from a world that's far from God. So I pray in the quietness of this moment that each one of us would just do a quick, quiet evaluation down deep about the friendships that we have and what you're saying to us about them. Make sure, Lord, that we are, in fact, measuring our circle of influence on the basis of values and habits and direction and that we are continuing to look for people to join our circle of concern so that we can pray for them, influence them for the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to let you go. But before I do, quick prayer together. Pray this simple prayer with me. Pray it in your own words. Jesus, show me in my world who belongs in my circle of influence. Show me who belongs in my circle of concern. Then give me the courage to act according to what you've shown me. And I'm going to trust that your word is true. If I hang out with the wise, I'll get wise. And if I reach out to people that don't know you, I'll be salt and light for them. In Jesus' name, amen.